played sports in high school. Raise your hand. How many of you played sports in high school? just want to understand the crowd a little bit here. How many of you played, let's see, who played basketball by a raise of hand? Anybody play basketball? Uh, anybody play football? Who played football in here, yeah? Uh, volleyball. Anybody play volleyball? Anybody? A couple of you. My wife played volleyball. My wife loves volleyball. That's her thing. I played soccer growing up all the time. That was really my sport. Uh, I, uh, you couldn't tell now because as your pastor's saying, you know, life happens, weight happens, cheeseburgers happen. But uh, so all that being said, I don't really look like I might have been able to do this, but there was a day when I played soccer and I was actually pretty good at it. I was pretty fast. Uh, I never had a whole lot of aptitude when it came to basketball. Uh, I played basketball. I never touched a basketball to my junior year of high school. Uh, I fouled out within three minutes one time of entering into a basketball game. I was that bad at it. Uh, but I uh, did enjoy soccer. I played soccer uh, from when I was just a little kid all the way on up. Uh, started when I was maybe first grade or so playing soccer. Really enjoyed the sport. Like I said, I was actually okay at it. Uh, we uh, played for a city league for a while uh, where I was growing up there in Michigan and then uh, joined uh, with a local Christian school uh, in northern Michigan uh, when I was a kid. And uh, soccer practice, and if you've never played it, you might, and again, this is true of any sport, can get really intense, okay? I had a, our coach, his name was Pastor Chatfield. It was a Christian school. Uh, Pastor Chatfield said, I'm not going to make you guys run laps the way some coaches would. What I'm expecting, though, is that from the moment practice starts to the moment two and a half hours later when practice ends, every drill you're doing, you are running constantly. You don't just sit there. You don't just stand there. You are running constantly, and he was brutal with us. We had all kinds of drills that we would do. We had all kinds of, uh, all, all kinds of things that we would do to hone in our skills, our, our, our passing and trapping skills, our kicking skills, how we shoot, things like that. Uh, he was very, very intense with us as far as what we did when we did not, were not in possession of the ball, practicing uh, space management and things like that within, within the game of soccer. He was intense. His uh, son... Uh, was actually our team captain. He was an incredible player. He actually held some state records for a little while. His name was Lee Chatfield. He is currently the Speaker of the House for the State of Michigan. Really weird situation. But a guy, uh, this guy that I was friends with, uh, Lee, uh, he showed leadership capabilities even when he was just on a high school uh, soccer team. And I remember one day, we, uh, he actually, again, quite the leader, he uh, uh, got us all together, and uh, we started practice before we were legally allowed to start practice uh, officially. So we were just unofficially meeting together, just a group of guys getting together to play soccer. We were really practicing for the team. He, uh, I remember one day, he, uh, he sat us all down and he said, you know, people get the idea that... Uh, in any sport, whether it be soccer, basketball, any sport. They get the idea that they join a team and the first thing they want to do is learn all the fancy plays, all the elaborate things that you can do in sports. He said, but ultimately, soccer and all other sports are about mastering 
the basics. And I remember that always stuck with me. I told you I played, uh, I played, in a, uh, I played basketball later on in high school. Uh, I remember my junior year of high school, we were in a Christian school league by then. It was in a different school. Uh, we were in a Christian school league. And I remember uh, just that it was a buzzer beater game for the, that Christian school league state championship. It came down right down to the wire. Here we were seconds away, seconds away from the game being over. The score was 52 to 51. We were down by one point. The other team had scored on us right there at the tail end. And it looked like we had lost the lead. It looked like we had lost the state championship. We had five seconds left to go. They inbounded the ball to our star player. And he, I remember he, 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 he booked it down the court, dribbling, booked it down the court, got right up under the basket, and uh, threw on a layup, and he, he won the state championship that year. Why? That guy knew layups. It, when the moment came, when crunch time came for that team, because he understood, because he was so good at getting his layups in, when crunch time came, he was able to deliver. I remember the very next year we were in a tournament. That guy, his name was Jason, he had graduated. I am going somewhere with, but with all this, by the way. Uh, the very next year, the, uh, Jason had graduated. We were in a similar position. We were at an end-of-year tournament. We were down by just a couple of baskets. And uh, I remember Josh. Josh was one of the better players on our team that year. Josh got fouled at the very end of a game. We were two points down. He had two free throws to make. If he could make both free throws, it would tie the game. We'd go into, we'd go into overtime. Here Josh was. He was on the free throw line. And all year long, we had messed with Josh and given him such a hard time because he blew it every time he tried to throw a free throw. His percentage was awful. He could never make his free throws. And here he is, very tail end of everything. He tries to make his free throws, and he misses it. Why? Because he didn't have the basics down. Something so fundamental as making free throws, he just didn't have it down. You say, where are you going with all this? Let's dive into the book of Jonah here real fast, and I'm going to make the application. In Jonah, here we are in Jonah. Look at, uh, now I could dig back into the earlier portions of Jonah. Most of us, though, I'm assuming, uh, are fairly familiar with the story and what takes place in the book of Jonah. Uh, but if you're not, at the, uh, Jonah is, uh, he lives in a time that were about 800 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, he was called, and uh, again, if we've been in church for any length of time, we know that Jonah was called to preach uh, repentance to the people of, uh, of the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh would have been one of the, basically the capital city of Assyria at this time. Again, we're about 800 years before Christ. The Assyrian Empire was brutal to their own people. If you study it out, people who were getting attacked by the Assyrians, people who were getting attacked by the people of Nineveh, when those uh, nations would get attacked by Nineveh, if they were losing the battle, it was not at all unusual for the uh, military leaders to just kill themselves so that they would not be delivered into the hands of Nineveh because Nineveh, the Assyrians, were such a brutal group of people. Uh, they were the enemies of the children of Israel. 
God had called uh, Jonah to go and preach repentance to the people. Now, what, hap- what winds up happening, again, if we're familiar with the book of Jonah, and uh, apparently you guys did just do a study on it recently, what winds up happening is, uh, uh, in, in the book of Jonah, uh, he, the people get saved. The people turn to the Lord. Now, about 150 years later, Nahum comes to preach to them uh, because they had fallen back into sin. And a little while after that, God winds up destroying the nation of Nineveh. In other words, there's a revival that takes place in Nineveh, but it doesn't last forever. But bottom line is God sends Jonah to preach to these people. Now, I read it this way one time. Somebody said this, the book of Jonah seems to have been intended of God as a hint to his own nation that he was also interested in other nations. In other words, God's saying, I know that mostly uh, 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 the prophets speak and preach to the people of Israel and to the people of Judah. I'm also interested in the souls of the Ninevites. And he sent Jonah there to preach to them. We all know the story. Jonah does not want to go. Somebody said it this way, that God said go. Jonah said no. So Jonah does resist God's leading. He winds, up heading, uh, he winds up heading down to a city called Joppa. He boards a ship to head to Tarshish to get as far away as he possibly can from the calling of God. God told him to go eastward to the city of Nineveh. Jonah boards a boat to go westward. Now, he's in this boat. He's on this journey. He is, uh, we all know the story, there was a, uh, a wind and the waves came up and the, there was a, a storm that hit the boat. Uh, the people, the men of the boat were trying to figure out what was going on in all of this. They throw Jonah overboard in hopes that that would, uh, in hopes that that would uh, assuage the problem, assuage the storm, and it does. Jonah is swallowed up by a great fish. Jesus later calls it a whale. Uh, Jonah is in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. That's all given to us in Jonah's chapters 1 and 2. And then in Jonah chapter 3, and again, church, you've already mostly heard this story, these stories. Uh, I'm giving you a little background just in case you didn't. But in Jonah chapter 3, that's where the story picks back up again after Jonah is spat out on dry ground. We read a few verses from it earlier, but in verses 4 and 5, Jonah enters the city. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Watch this. Jonah finally answers God's call, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right, church? Jonah is finally doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then you'll see what happens next. Verse 6, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Church, catch this. I, sometimes when I read the Bible, I try to say, what would that be like if that event took place in our day, in 2020? This church is the equivalent of a guy coming to Maine, and three days... Three days without any help from TV, without any help from any of that, after three days of being in Maine, walking around, preaching to the people, the whole state, the whole city, if you will, of Augusta, for example, or going down to Portland, the whole city of Portland, all turning back to the Lord, and the governor doing the exact same thing and the mayor of the city, and everybody all at once saying, we want God back in our lives. We want 
Jesus. That's the equivalent in 2020. If something like that happened, that would blow our minds, wouldn't it, church? If God blessed somebody's ministry here in 2020, the way God blessed Jonah's ministry, we would all be beside ourselves. If God called us to start a church in Burlington, if we got to Burlington and within three days Bernie Sanders was saved and the whole city was repenting in sackcloth and ashes, we would all say, God has put his hand of blessing upon this. And I can't tell you, as the person who's God's called to go to Burlington, if something like that happened, I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I'd be about that. But that's not what happened with Jonah. If you keep reading down through the very end, it says in verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1 but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Church, get this. Jonah was exactly where he was supposed to be, doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, and seeing God bless him, and he was miserable. Exactly where he's supposed to be, doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing, and hates his life. Keep reading. It says in verse 2, And he prayed unto the Lord, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. It says, verse uh, 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's slightly over the top. Here he is. He's a guy, now again, trying to relate this to what, would, what the story would be like if it were said in 2020, that would be like me going around, me being sent over to Burlington, starting this church, God blessing three days later, and me wanting to kill myself because I'm in so much misery that God's blessing. That's bizarre. But if you keep reading, it gets worse. Verse 4, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over him. So Jonah, uh, so Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Verse 7, But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And we read through the next few verses. There's a conversation that takes place between, uh, between God and Jonah. And, there, and uh, God's basically... It, if I were to sum it all up, God's basically telling Jonah, your priorities are way off, Jonah. He gets to the very end, verse 11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle? And that's the end of the book. And I always thought that's such a strange way for the book to just kind of trail off. And I was always taught, and I grew up, I'm... Um, 29 years old, and when I was growing up, I would have been 10 years old when 9-11 happened, and I remember when I was uh, just a 10-year-old kid, somebody using the illustration that the book of Jonah would be like somebody right after 9-11 being called to go be a missionary over to Afghanistan, that that was a comparison, so try to understand it that way. And that's all great, but I've never been called to be a missionary to Afghanistan. 
So that kind of an analogy, I get it. But what's the application for you and me? What does that story tell you and me? The takeaway, again, from this story that I want us to see today, and again, I told you this is a simple message. It's going to be pretty light. The takeaway from all this, we read the book of Jonah, and you get to the very end, and you have a guy that was in the will of God and miserable. Anybody ever been there, church? You're doing what you need to be doing. You are where you need to be, and you're unhappy. Maybe it is that you are serving in a church as a Sunday school teacher or in whatever capacity that you can possibly serve. You're serving and you're miserable. Or maybe let's take it outside of the church uh, sphere for a second. Let's just say you are in a relationship, you are married, and you are trying to be a good spouse, and you're doing everything that you're supposed to do, but you're still miserable. Let's say you're parenting your kids, and you're trying to parent your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're trying to do everything that you're supposed to do. You're trying to do all of that, and yet you're still miserable. I've been in situations before very much like that. Serving at a church, going in week after week to do my thing, just burned out, drained out, and discouraged. I've been there. And I don't know what the application would be for you. I don't know what it is that maybe you've done in your life where you know you're where you're supposed to be, but you're still miserable anyway. I don't know what the application would be for you, but you do. But what do you do? And what was the problem here? And I remember just trying to dig into the book of Jonah and just really get a good grasp on what Jonah's problem really was. What was it that messed Jonah up so much that he was this miserable? Yeah, I get it. He was called to go preach to a bunch of people that were the enemies of Israel. I get it. But what is really happening here? And then I realized there's a passage in the New Testament that is written in such a way that it could have been directed directly at Jonah. Grab your Bibles, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you, you already know where I'm headed with this. What was Jonah's problem, church? What was his problem? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Catch that, church, catch that. Paul says, if I were to go out and preach and be able to say the most dramatic and exciting and wonderful things, but I don't have love, I don't have charity, because that's what charity means. Charity means love. Paul's saying, even if I were to go out and be able to preach these immaculate sermons and did not have love inside of me, I'd be as a sounding brass or I'd be as a tinkling cymbal. Now, let's cut to the chase. We'll get back to the passage, but flip over to, flip to the last verse of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and we'll dig into a little bit more of the scripture, but in the last verse here, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You know what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 13? He's saying that, his problem could potentially become, or that our problem could potentially become, or that Jonah's problem was doing the ministry 
without love. Doing what you're supposed to do in your life, but you're just going through motions. You forgot the basics. The Christian life, I love digging into theology, and I love understanding all of the deep things of the Scripture, but if I try to just be a pastor, or if I try to just get into the ministry and do that kind of thing, and forget the fact that God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us, and not just for me, and not just for you, but for the lost world out there, that God loves the lost world out there, if I forget that, I'm going to become miserable. God's called us to go up to Burlington and preach to a bunch of people that, like I said earlier, are not necessarily the ideal stereotypical candidates uh, for a church. God's called me to go up there, though, and preach to those people, and not just preach to those people, but to love those people. God's called you to go out to the people of Augusta, Maine, and to preach the gospel, and to pour your hearts and souls into trying to see this city saved. But not just to preach, and not just to speak out for the Lord. God's called you to love this city. And to love the people of this region. And God, by the way, take this outside of the ministry context. Put this again in any context. God has a job for each person in this room to do. And if you try to do that job without charity, without love, you'll be just as miserable as Jonah because that was Jonah's problem. Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. It says, and though I have the gift of prophecy. You know what Jonah was? Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. He had, if you will, the gift of prophecy. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Not like Jonah, hating these people after being there for three days. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. That was one of Jonah's problems. He said, I'm one of the children of God. I'm of the, I'm of the people of Israel. These Assyrian people, these people of Nineveh, they're in sort of like this subcategory of awful human beings. I don't want them to accept the gospel. I don't love them. I'm not interested in them. You know what he was? He was vaunted and puffed up because he thought he was better than everybody else out there who needed the gospel. The people around Augusta, Maine that you find most difficult to love are loved to the core by Jesus. The people that we are called to minister, that we struggle to find love for, God loves them just as much as he loves you and me. And church, what's one of the most difficult things, both in ministry and in any aspect of life that you find yourself, is to try to do the right thing knowing that you're doing the right thing, but not having love, that'll make you miserable, that'll make you burned out, that'll make you frustrated. Why? Because we forget the basics. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. 
We try to do ministry, but we're doing it in our own power. We try to fulfill God's command on our life, but we do it in our flesh. And we don't have the love of Jesus emanating out of us. Say, so what's the, that sounds great. And by the way, church, there was a time in my life where I'd get to the end of this message, where I'd get to this verse, I'd get to this, the end of this thought and say, all right, bow your heads, close your eyes, that's it, that's it. But church, I realized that sounds great on paper, but what do you do? You might say, I'm stuck in a situation, whether it be in my job, whether it be in my family, whether it be in my position of service and ministry, I'm in a place where I'm trying to do what's right, and I'm just not finding the charity, I'm just not finding the love inside of myself to do this. What do I do? What do I do? I just don't have it. I'm running on E, I'm running on fumes. How do I live for God and find that charity, find that love inside of me? to do what I'm supposed to do. We'll wrap it up with this, but flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I want us to look at one verse down at verse 22. The scriptures say, but the fruit of the Spirit is, what's that next word, church? Love. It lists a lot of other things, too. But if you are at a place in your life, Galatians 5.22 tells us that if we need love, the Spirit will give us love if we yield to Him. I don't have time to dig into Galatians chapters 4 and 5, but church, if you do, look at it later, look it up later. Galatians chapters 3, 4, 5, it talks about how we have and we are equipped with everything we need to live a successful, bountiful, exciting Christian life. God's equipped us that through the person of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 tells us that he can give us love when we lack love. He can give us that joy, that charity that we need. So church, again, simple message. But let me ask you this. Putting wheels to this, making the rubber meet the road. First off, church, what is it that you're doing in your life either right now or maybe this isn't a message for right now. God's come to show me that lately. Sometimes we hear a message that we don't need right now. We need it later. What is it that you might find yourself doing where you're doing what you're supposed to do in the will of God but miserable? Church, remember this pat these passages. Remember the story of Jonah. His problem was he didn't have a 1 Corinthians chapter 13 love inside of him. He didn't love the people that he was supposed to pour himself into. And church, I've been in the place, and I said it before, but I've been at the place, I was, I've been a bus captain for years and years and years, and I've hopped on a bus and just kind of gone through the motions and been irritated the whole time and not really had, to, had the heart for it. Why? Because I lacked the love of Jesus that ought to be poured into that. Say, what do you do if you find yourself lacking it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law. God will give it to you. might just be that we need to pray and say, God, give me a Holy Spirit love. 
that I can pour into the people that I need to pour into or that I can exercise as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, even if I'm miserable. Church, what would it be like if we looked at Donald Trump and Joe Biden and Janet Mills, not as people that are our enemies, but as people who just need the gospel, as people who just need Jesus. We get so much hatred, we get so much anger built up inside of us for the people that we see around us that we don't think are being the people they should be or doing the people, things that they should do. They just need the love of Jesus to transform their lives. Let's be those people who are giving the love of Jesus out to others, not like Jonah, not like Jonah. Let's love people this week. Let's get back to the basics. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this, uh, Lord, this time where we were able to dig into your word. Lord, it wasn't anything deep. It wasn't anything, Lord, that we may never have heard before, but it's something everybody in here needs, Lord. We need, Lord, there are times in our, all of our lives where we get off doing what we're supposed to do, but just not happy in it. Lord, we just need your, your joy, your love. And Lord, I pray that everybody in here would realize that we have that, Lord. We have that ability through the Holy Spirit. Lord, to love people the way that we should. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, that you'd give us what we need today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.